Hi guys, and welcome back to Tales from Mysteria Lane, the podcast where we give you a fair view all things Desperate Housewives. I'm the RV that Tom didn't buy, still sitting there years later, my dreams of seeing the world unachieved, and wondering if I will ever truly be loved. <laughs> Bitchy Rusty. Also <laughs> also known as Joel. <laughs> C'est comme ça quin, de bonjour en français, Billy Ray. What? Oh, it means, and this is how you say hello in French. In French. <laughs> so today I will be giving the overview and B will be gracing us with the trivia for season five, episode seven. What more do I need? Mm. So, babe, do you have anything to start us off? I do. So this episode was written by Matthew Berry and directed by Larry Shaw. And it first aired on the 9th of November, 2008. The title, What More Do I Need, is taken from a song. It's the lyrics of a song in the Stephen Sondheim musical Saturday Night. And on this day, the number one song in America was Live Your Life by T.A. featuring Rihanna. And in the UK, it was still Heroes by the X Factor cast. Of course it was. Do you remember Live Your Life by T.A. featuring Rihanna? Just live your life. Hey, way. It's a yeah, terrible song. It's not very good. It's not. And other than that, in this episode, we find out that Susan's least favourite word is panties. Who knew that having a least favourite word was even a thing? It is a thing. I was going to ask you in the episode what your least favourite word was. All right. Well, did you want to do it because then or now? We can, we can do it now if you want to do it now. Sure. What's your least favourite word? My least favourite word is probably willy <laughs> i hate the word willy oh it just oh i don't even like saying it it's just it, it's, it's gross it makes me feel gross saying it it's not sexy it's not a sexy word for it no but it's normally a word given to the organ by adults for children yeah so but what's your least favorite word I, do you have one? I don't think I've ever really thought about it. It's a very Susan thing. Because that's why a lot of people don't like the word, um, oh God, what's the word that they don't like? It's a C word? No, there's, there's like a word that people don't... Moist? Yes, that's the one. People don't like moist. moist. Or gash. A lot of people don't like the word gash. What's wrong with gash? <laughs> I don't know, it's a fire word. <laughs> so I can't believe you don't have a least favourite word. That really well, surprises me about you, actually. Well, <laughs> I'll think about it and we can come back to it at the end if you want. Yes, because you're the kind of person that I think would be that critical about words. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay, so that's it. This episode aired three days before my 16th birthday. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Sweet 16. Sweet 16. <laughs> what did you do on your 16th birthday? Um... I, do you know what? I don't even remember. That must feel like a long time ago. It really was. Isn't, you know, going on 14 years. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so previously on Desperate Housewives, Susan and Jackson got back together. Gabby's greed and desire for the finer things causes her to remain friends with the lonely Virginia Hildebrand. Bree set Catherine up with a convicted grave robber and Catherine decides to stay on Mysteria Lane. Karen gets out of hospital and stays with her sister while she tries to find out more about Dave. And Lynette believes Tom is having an affair with Anne Schilling, not realising that it's actually Porter. Yeah. Rough. Yeah, <laughs> and I must say, Lynette does have by far my favourite of the episode stories. Oh, it's this week. so stunning. It's such a good, like, <laughs> episode story, and I think it gives one of the twins some character. Yeah, other than being just a hooligan. Yeah. So, Gabby and Carlos and the kids are hanging out with Virginia, living the life of luxury, and Virginia invites him to stay the weekend. Gabby agrees, but Carlos says no, as they have Celia's birthday party coming up, but Gabby doesn't care, because she's 
very quickly become used to this luxury lifestyle that she's been pushed back into. Yeah, instantly falling back into bad routines, yes. bad habits. Yeah. This seems hilarious, though, because you can hear kids playing and laughing, but those kids are not Juanita and Brumhilda. The ones that are laughing? Yeah, I don't no. know if it's the audio mixing, but they those kids sound like they are in a different garden. They yeah. sound like they are far away, and that was not their voices. No, and Virginia comes in, she's like, I've missed the sound of children's laughter, but it's probably just the kids next door, girl. Girl, that is stock laughter. <laughs> could hear that on any show <laughs> right just keep the tv on speaking of paradise and luxury or whatever this was so interesting that gabby referred to this as shangri-la and i thought that was really odd because i was like girl it's just a pool and some margaritas is that really shangri-la especially from gabby who i mean if we got a pool and margaritas we would think it's like shangri-la but this is yeah. gabby yeah but she's not used to it i just think that her she's, her, she's for getting... gabby her expectations have dropped significantly well what do you expect <laughs> she's poor now yeah but she's lounging around on a pool or in a pool should i say and getting constant drinks thrown her way food cooked for her by professional chefs like yeah. what more could you ask for right now in this economy <laughs> you take it where you can get it it's pretty sick so not gonna lie. it is carlos believes basically that they need to keep professional distance but gabby is more than happy to be a friend to this lonely old woman and then the butler comes back with gabby's drink and because she's in the middle of the pool i feel like i just have to mention this moment yep because gabby's in the middle of the pool she's like oh shoot i can't get it and so the butler has to go into the pool fully clothed to pass gabby her margarita and take her old one and i must say gabby's got wasteful since she's got back into the life of luxury there was still half a margarita in that glass he took from her yeah i hope they're getting paid well they better be either that or the pride that this man takes in his work is impressive yes that was dedication from that man yeah gabby wakes the girls up but finds them already awake drawing on the walls yep so virginia tells gabby that this will be the kids room so that's why they're allowed to decorate it how they see fit basically for whenever and whenever they visit and she brings up next weekend gabby kind of fobs it off saying that her and carlos have plans but virginia will be happy with just the girls basically overriding gabby's decision of no like we can't come over next weekend and going direct to the girls and being like girls what do you think i hate when people do that yeah i know because now the mum kind of can't say no (laughs) she can so it just it puts the mum in an uncomfortable situation if the mum clearly makes it very clear it's a no but you'd still choose to go to the kids thanks mrs hildebrand oh what did i say oh thanks grandma yeah it's really creepy so she makes the kids call her grandma (laughs) and then gabby freaks out basically and runs to pack telling carlos they're leaving as the old lady is a fruit loop and the europe trip is off it's a lot of money that she's offering and she does have connections but it's not worth it when she's playing these weird mind games on your kids no carlos basically says he has to be careful as the old lady has a lot of pull at the country club so they kind of have to go about distancing themselves from virginia quite carefully but you can't distance yourself carefully from crazy people no you really can't so we cut to celia's birthday party and the party is lovely until virginia turns up to give celia her present which is apparently to take her away in the middle of the party to buy a doll and then she's all like oh it's fine i'll wait on the porch until the party's over like oh girl read the room get a hint yeah take she's, a hint she's got no awareness no this little absolutely lady. no self-awareness gabby has basically run out of niceness and calls out virginia for her creepy attitude and we have a clip I have tried to be nice, but I am running out of polite here, so I'm just going to say, knock it off. I'm sorry. Knock off what? This whole creepy, clingy, I'm your grandma routine. But I've come to feel like a grandmother to the girls. In three days. That's the creepy part. What a hurtful thing to say. Especially given how generous I've been to your family. Yeah. 
too generous. It's like you're trying to buy us or something. Well, we're not for sale, so just back off. Who do you think you're talking to? You wicked, ungrateful girl. You're not the first greedy bitch who's tried to bleed me dry and then wash her hands of me. Okay, we're done here. Goodbye. So Carlos catches the end of that kind of conversation mm-hmm. and Virginia leaves without giving Carlos a chance to apologise, basically. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of a gag when she said, you greedy, ungrateful bitch. Kind yeah, of right. Thing. right. Who was... knew? This old lady's got teeth. I was a bit like, oh, and those teeth. <laughs> this is very Gabby, just to be straight up about it. Just like, knock it off. You she, know? Like, she did say, you know, I'm trying to be nice, but I'm running out of politeness. Oh, you don't have to tell me. Like, I can see that this is Gabby trying. This was Gabby trying to be polite. After being kicked off of their property and being basically called a crazy old rich lady, Virginia is on the phone to the head of the country club telling them that Carlos touched her inappropriately during their last massage, clearly aiming to get him fired. Yeah, that's ugh, that's bad. Mm-hmm. It is really bad. It's really shitty. So Virginia's a villain. She is the yeah. villain. Uh, so let's move on to Brie. Let's. So Brie and Orson are questioning an employee who they believe to have stolen money from them. He denies it, but they pull out the receipts, basically, and fire him, demanding their money back, but he spent it on drugs. But who is this guy? We've never met him before. I didn't even realise they had any other employees other than Catherine. <laughs> Nor did I. <laughs> I thought they must do, but we've never seen anyone, so no. it's just like a day player who comes in for literally one scene. But there you go. Orson has hired a new girl to replace their thief, with a recommendation from the FBI and a Mormon daddy. And then Brie congratulates Orson on the trustworthy hire. But I thought that was weird. It's, Brie, I've got good news. I work under you, but somehow I thought it'd be okay for me to hire someone for your company. But he doesn't work under her now. They're partners. I thought that he started as not a partner and he, then, he, until Brie said that he could be partner. Until Catherine. Yeah. Said that he could be partner. Has she? We've not actively seen it, but considering that in the scene when Brie is firing Charlie, she refers to Orson as her partner... I think it's because Orson has really been pulling his weight. He brought in that account for 80 people. Yeah. He did all of the work last episode, which pissed off Catherine, but clearly was wonderful for Brie. So, yeah, I'm going to assume that that's the reason why he has been made partner off screen. But the problem is it was off screen. Considering it was a big issue, they've resolved it off screen. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't feel right, but oh well. So, at this good news of the new trustworthy hire and the great review in the Christian magazine, they get horny and have sex in the kitchen. Oh, they really do. They really do. Where food's prepared. It sounded really awkward as well. Why? Sex on a table is not comfortable. I know, it was just the words and stuff. Oh god, my head. Grab me an oven mitt. (laughs) Well, yeah, because that's what's going to be close by to cushion her head. (laughs) Why is this awkward? It's just funny when, um, I don't know, during a sex scene you hear them be all real about it. Because you're conditioned from sex scenes in other shows. Yeah, and but I I actually appreciated this because B says in sex scenes in other shows, they really hype it up and sort of over-dramatise it and make it this big romantic thing. And let's face it, guys, we all know sex, 99% of the time, is not romantic. Yeah, they're kind of leaving out the mishaps and, uh, you know, the bonks of the head. The mishaps, the awkward positioning, the cramps you get when you're trying to, you know, you've been in positions for too long. Like, sex is not, half the time it's not romantic. The act itself is romantic, but the actual doing of the sex is not romantic. It's clunky and it's weirdly awkward. <laughs> yeah, don't let shows like, I don't know, what's a very sex-heavy show? Don't let shows like Elite fool you into thinking that it's some kind of way. Yeah, I'm assuming. Yeah, and Skins. Skins. Skins yeah. is a very sex-heavy show, isn't it? So. I don't, hmm, yeah, good point. I don't remember. 
So, yeah, Catherine cuts out of work early, which actually is a big old change from the other episode when she cut, was forced to cut out work early and she was miserable about it. Yep. <laughs> um, she walks past Andrew, who comes in to talk to his mum and Orson, and apparently the guy they fired is now blackmailing them because he stole the surveillance tape, which has the recording of Brie and Orson getting messy in the kitchen. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, proposedly. Yeah. Orson looks a little proud or amused when he hears about the sex tape thing. Oh, man. I don't know. I think he's probably like, oh, <laughs> I'm in a sex tape. That's because <laughs> the outcome of this sex tape getting leaked is going to be very different for them. Yeah. For Brie, her reputation will be destroyed. And for Orson, he'd be the guy that boinked that hot woman in the kitchen. In the kitchen. Yeah. He'll forever be like the bad guy. The notoriety he gets in comparison to the completely different type of notoriety Brie would get. Yeah. Double standards. Yeah. So... It basically, it turns out that Brie turned the camera off, but Orson turned it on. (laughs) So they kind of cancelled each other out. Or vice versa. Yeah. So Charlie wants 2K for it, or he's posting it onto YouTube. (laughs) So Brie begs for old Andrew to make a return to get the tape back by any means necessary. That was great. Forget everything I've ever taught you. Everything about laws and godly behaviour. Just get the tape at any means necessary. Fierce. I mean, if I was Andrew, I'd be like, Mum, it really doesn't matter. It's not going to stay on YouTube for very long. <laughs> yeah, but it would tarnish her reputation a bit, especially with her brand. Yeah, true. So I see um, where she's coming from. Yeah, they'd, they'd take those four halos away from Brie in a second. Right? Oh my god, they gave me devil horns. My <laughs> reputation's ruined. I've got five devil horns now. Yeah. So Andrew manages to get the tape, but before they destroy it, he assures them that they need to watch it as well. <laughs> it turns out it's not Brie and Orson on the tape. It's no. Catherine and Mike. <laughs> Yep. And so begins the storyline of Catherine and Mike. I wonder how long they watched that tape for. I'd watch it to completion. <laughs> literally to completion. That's so bad. I would. I mean, especially if I... I've, how long has Andrew been keeping hold of that tape? How many times has Andrew watched that tape? I don't know, but Probably Andrew not. definitely knows Mike's butt. Yeah. He'd recognise it in a lineup. <laughs> now he would. Anyway. So Brie pops by Catherine's to give her the copy of the tape, and she's mortified, calling herself a demented slut. But is she mortified? She's like, is she just saying it? Oh my god, where is prepared? What kind of demented slut would do that? Yeah, uh, <laughs> Catherine's fun when she's had sex, just saying. Yeah, Catherine, like, sati- sexually satisfied Catherine is so much fun to be around. I don't hate the storyline, I just don't. I really I know hate you the, do, but I, I just don't. hate the storyline. It gives me very, I've said this already to you, it gives me very Rachel and Joey and friends. The thing... <laughs> Brie does rightly say, Susan's your friend who you've known the longest, I do you know what you're doing, blah blah blah. And it is quite a nuanced situation, isn't it? Because, you know, the divorce was hard for Susan. We know that she clearly still likes Mike, so that's going to get messy. But from Catherine's perspective, Susan is the one who initiated the divorce. And Catherine's been lonely for a long time, as she says. So she's only just starting to open up and have fun again with Mike. So mm. it's clearly good for her. We can see it's good for her. So I guess the messy thing is that she's not telling Susan, really, isn't it? The I me- think if she just goes to Susan about it and doesn't let Susan find out in her own way, this situation could be handled well. Brie is very correct when she says, we're women, we don't do that. Mm. Because although there's this whole trope of women going after other women's things, in this instance, yes, Susan and Mike aren't together. So Mike is open and free to see whoever he wants. But as Susan's best friend, Catherine has an obligation to tell Susan before anything gets too serious with Mike, because it's about respect. That's what I'm saying. Do you reckon if she would just talk to Susan by it, it could stop a lot of these problems in its tracks? Absolutely. But that's not going to happen because this is desperate housewives. (laughs) Because Susan would not be blindsided in the end, and she would be able to come to terms with it in her own way and speak to Catherine about it. But instead, they're, they're sneaking around and not telling anyone. 
if I was Susan, when I find this out, because let's face it, it's Desperate Housewives, Susan is going to find out. Yeah, probably next I, episode. <laughs> yeah, I would be royally pissed at Catherine. Yeah, it's it's going to be so messy, I can't wait. <laughs> it's so, this is so juicy. So Susan is out at dinner with Jackson on their second first date, and Susan confirms that they won't be having sex for okay. the first four dates. Basically, Susan wants to spend time getting to know each other before they start having sex again, because now she's going into this relationship with a fresh mind. Yeah, we're starting again. We're starting the relationship again. So no sex until date four, because that's her rule. And mm. she hates the word panties. It's weird because they already know about each other. Mm. So they're just playing out kind of like a fantasy. They're going through the motions. Sort of, but I also... But if, but if Susan says no sex until date four, then that's that's what it is, mate. That is what it is. But also, I kind of don't think it is a fantasy, because they were just sort of fuck buddies. So there will be limited knowledge of what they have of each other to when they get down to it. Yeah, so this you know, is you, fleshing you never, it out. You'll never know everything. No. So it's kind of cute. It, it fleshes it out. And basically, Susan asks what one thing that she doesn't know, and Jackson says that he's like a proper painter, not just like a house painter. He does like actual paintings. <laughs> he's not a painter, he's an artist. Yes, yeah. yes. And he, yeah, like he said, studied art in Paris, but he's not really? been able to do anything because he's creatively blocked right now. Yeah. Which I just have to mention because it's part of the story for Jackson and Susan. Exactly. So Susan is at Jackson's place drinking and explaining her sad little story about the little boobs that couldn't. And he gets her another drink <laughs> and puts on sex music, but Susan puts her foot down, her foots. Puts down those feet. <laughs> yeah. She puts down her little footsies and explains that they're supposed to be getting to know each other and not playing sex music. Yeah. Love that she called that out. She loves to call things out. She really does. Oh, but this scene. Oh, Jackson is so pathetic. He really is pathetic. The pleading is really pathetic and he's really unlikable when he does it. Yeah, he no, he doesn't come across as very good in this scene. He doesn't come across as a respectable man. Right, it's only your second date in the fantasy. So have some respect, mate. Be right. a gentleman. Uh, so Susan basically says what we've just said. <laughs> yeah, and she, she does actually, yeah. She ends the date and leaves. You know what? No, I am going to leave. <laughs> Sad little Jackson, all alone his flat, goes to his art room with an urge to paint. Yeah, suddenly not so blocked anymore. Yes. Why do artists never really wash their paintbrushes? I don't know. I've never seen a clean paintbrush in my life, unless it's brand new. We used to have to wash the paintbrushes at school when I was at school. So did we, but they were never clean. Mm, no. <laughs> Hilarious. So Jackson and Susan are ending their third date and she is drunkenly giving Jackson a pop quiz on her life before telling him that the rule is out the window and it's sex time. Yeah. But Jackson's no longer interested and he leaves giving Susan a forehead kiss. Yeah, I, I'm really glad that he didn't take advantage of drunk Susan. Me too. But Susan was a little pissed and confused. She was there like, the forehead? <laughs> God, you can't please Susan. You just can't please her. I think the for a forehead kiss, kiss is just confusing, like on a date. Well, what was the forehead kiss really about? You know, that was a bit weird, I have to admit. But it's because it was the no sex that got her, you know? Yeah. So Susan pops by Jackson's place dressed in a sexy outfit, but he isn't too interested. And she notices that he is back to painting again. And she runs into the room to see what he's been working on and finds a painting of her that's just a little bit sunburnt. It's not sunburn, it's just a different colour. No, like I, I, yeah, I know, but there was a redness of the face which made her look sunburned. Yeah, there was an intensity. Yes. That was intense. The painting of Susan really seems to trigger her as it's a specific look In a good of way. hers. Yeah. Yeah. And Jackson opens up about just how much he knows Susan and she poses naked for him to, like, so he can finish painting her hands. That, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but yeah, the moment where she sees the painting of herself and it's he's clearly captured a moment that 
only she thinks that she knows about herself. It's, mm. it's so intimate. And I think that's really great. Yeah, no, I think it is a really nice moment. Which I, th- proves... I think we all get to that moment in a relationship and you're like, oh, this is real. But yeah, and it just, it proves that he is paying attention. So let's go to my favourite story, which is Ms. Scarvo. Yes, let's do it. So we start the episode basically where we left off of the end of the last episode, which is the same night. Well, Lynette was packing her bag at the end of the last episode, but in this episode there was no packed bag. It's fine. Anywhere. Let's but forget we, about we'll, it. We'll forget about that. Because the show clearly did. Yeah. She's waiting for Tom to come home so she can flip out, basically. Tom lies and she calls him out, telling him what she saw. <laughs> and Tom doesn't realise she believes it's him screwing Anne. And so he laughs it off, telling Lynette that he didn't bring her in on it and why. And then it confuses Lynette. It's a great opening. The misunderstanding is hilarious. It's a whole comedy skit. This right. whole opening is just a comedic skit. Yeah, she's like... You're busted. And he's like, oh, well, it's not the first time it's happened. And it won't be the last. And she's like, excuse me. Boys will be boys, Lynette. And she's just like, <laughs> what? Oh, I need to sit down. Oh, eventually, conversation has a flow. And they realise that they're not on the same flight. And Porter enters to a very disturbed Lynette and a shocked Tom. Because it all comes out that it's Porter that's having the affair with Anne Schilling. Yeah. So Lynette's like, I saw Anne Schilling. And Tom's like, it was my, it was our son. And they put the dots together. Yeah. And they, they're like, it's your best friend's mum. So it's quite shocking. Yeah, when she's like, you're having sex with your best friend's mother? And Tom's like, yeah, go on, mate. I'm just joking. Surprisingly, he's not. No, he's not. Even Tom's shocked. Lynette tells Porter that he is to call Mrs. Schilling right now and end it. But Porter isn't interested in stopping their relationship. Relationship. <laughs> Which shocks everyone because they're like, oh, it's relationship word, is it? They DTR'd. Apparently, Anne's husband is very abusive. And if he found out, then he would kill Anne. But Lynette doesn't really seem to care about that. And Porter eventually agrees to call and end it as long as his parents promise to say nothing about this. And if he finds out they did, he'll leave and never return. Yeah, I mean, it's a terrible thing to hear. But at what point are you like, do I care? Mm. You're my son and she's sleeping with you and you're underage and she's a predator. I loved that Lynette was like, you've put her in a very bad position then, haven't you? Yeah, turning that round on him. <laughs> right. Parent moment. So Lynette is at what I'm assuming is a PTA meeting. It does seem like, it seems a bit PTA, doesn't it? Yeah, it seemed very school library. They're talking about school things. So I'm assuming it's bad mums now we've entered. And she's throwing daggers at Anne, who's giving a speech about parents watching over their kids to ensure they don't get in trouble. Hilarious. <laughs> Lynette clearly can't listen to the rest of the speech and she storms out the hypocrisy of it who knows what kind of trouble they'll get themselves into god get some perspective woman <laughs> in the toilet she unfortunately bumps into Anne. she's there like <laughs> hoping that she never has to see this woman or is it unfortunate for Anne to have to bump into lynette right now i mean it's unfortunate for both of them really i think lynette's like son of a bitch i just can't catch a break so um Anne tries to like have a nice conversation <laughs> With Lynette, like, she's got no idea that these this woman knows. So she's like, how's the family? Oh, <laughs> don't even, lady. Lynette can't hold her anger in anymore. And she attacks Anne in the middle of a toilet. <laughs> I think that's, the opening is the funniest scene in the episode. But that's got to be the second funniest for me. <laughs> she just attacks her in a toilet. <laughs> just seeing Lynette shove her into that metal paper towel dispenser. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> just because Angeline was so dramatic about like, ah! She, like, completely, like, falls into the wall. And she's like, Lynette, oh. I mean, kudos to the actor. She throws herself into it. She does. Whoever is Anne Schilling, I, you get chef's kiss for your acting performance because you're fantastic. So Anne apologises and tells Lynette that she loves Porter, which is, again, too much for Lynette to take. And she tells Anne never to touch her son again or she'll find out just how much she loves her. Him. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, yeah, I mean... Touch my son again and I'll show you how much I love you, Anne. Well, you really shouldn't have said you loved Porter because it doesn't help, does it? No, it really doesn't. Just apologise and leave, lady. So, Porter meets Anne out in a public place and she's freaking out because she's pregnant. Right in front of the kids' park. Right, why is it, like, <laughs> the place to go to is always the kids' park? It happened in season one with Noah and Mike. It's on purpose because she's manipulative and she wants to scare him a little bit. Yeah. It also, I think, instigates the next conversation with Lynette and Porter. Yep. Which I think is actually a really beautiful scene until Lynette kind of ruins it at the end. (laughs) (laughs) So Lynette comes into Porter's room to explain to him that she understands how he feels, but this isn't real love and one day he'll meet someone who wants the same things and at the same time and all that sort of stuff because of the big age gap. And he'll understand then why Lynette has been this way with him. Yeah. And Porter then gets a call from Anne telling him that she can leave town on Saturday with him. And then Anne hangs up and Porter turns to his mum and basically says that he appreciates everything that she's done for him. Well, she says, do you have the money? Where's your money? You're the adult. That's true. Like, what the hell? She's so manipulative. Now she wants his money. Bitch, I'm 16, okay? I've got very minimal money because the gambling business I started up at my parents' restaurant tanked, okay? So... (laughs) God, this woman is unbelievable. And Lynette wants so badly to believe him when he thanks her and Tom for everything they've done. Yeah, like, he's like, lady... uh, uh, He's really sweet about it, and he's like, oh, like, I just... I understand now. I think it's because he now thinks he's having a child, and so he's become a parent he also, in this situation, and so he's sounded, looking at things a little differently. It sounded like a goodbye, or it at least did. it sounded like something was wrong, but she's so overcome by the fact that he just thanked them that she doesn't seem to see it. Yeah, like, was she, was, she was so not expecting him to suddenly be like, no, I understand, and, and thank you for being this way, that she completely ignores every other sign, and she's like... Great, I'll see you downstairs. She, because she really expected the worst. Yeah. And then she got this, but I mean, I would have called the police on that woman already. Um, and then we have Karen and Dave. So Dave turns up to the band rehearsal, telling them that they have their first gig, which is Battle of the Bands. And what Tom- the fuck, Dave? <laughs> Battle of the Bands? <laughs> They're like, don't you have to audition? And apparently no. Edie knows someone through the real estate basically that that knows the owner so they don't have to audition you're gonna be an absolute embarrassment what is this you're just a little garage weirdly tom and mike don't seem too thrilled but orson seems quite ecstatic well that is very awesome behavior at first and then dave drops the bomb that they have to write an original song and he's all for it he's like oh i can write it i can write it with someone and Orson basically says, I don't know how to write songs. And Tom's like, I do. And then Orson's like, no, you don't. So Orson was excited for (laughs) Battle of the Bands. And then suddenly they're not. Well, he probably thinks if we're going to play someone else's song, fair dues. If we have to write our own, that's embarrassing. Yeah, probably. Rightly so. But even playing someone else's song, this is Battle of the Bands. Yeah. Do you know how hard those kids worked in School of Rock to get here? (laughs) Very. Do you want to be a teacher's pet? (laughs) Exactly. You are never going to beat that song. Sorry. (laughs) Kick some ass. (laughs) (laughs) Dave thinks that him and Mike will be a very good pairing to write a song, but Mike's not really very interested because he's got plans tonight with a girl. And then all the lads try and figure out who it is that Mike's got plans with, but no one can figure it out. This is a really bad idea, Dave, for shame. Mm. So uh, Karen is at Roberta's trying to find out more info on Dave. Roberta believes that Dave has a secret and they go through his phone records to figure out that he's getting calls from that Dr. Heller. 
The who's, psychiatrist. He's yeah. a psychiatrist in Boston, and they looked up the doctor to find out that he specialises in treating the criminally insane. I mean, good sleuthing girl. Right? She's like, he gets, the, he gets called from this number every single month, on the first of every month, multiple times, only for a few seconds, so he's clearly not picking up the phone. Mm. So, I loved that. Absolutely great. Roberta was absolutely fantastic. And then that whole moment when she's like, and that is your neighbour's dirty little secret. And then the camera pans across and you see, oh, it's criminally insane. He's not just insane. He doesn't just need, you know, help with coping mechanisms. He is criminally insane. Exactly. So Karen and Roberta are trying to get some info on Dave from Dr. Helia, but they aren't doing too well. They're doing terribly. He claims not to know a Dave Williams, and eventually Roberta stops the acting and is just straight up with him, telling him that Dave's freaking people out in Fairview, which seems to be interesting information to him, and then he scares them off by telling them that he'll be calling the police. Yeah, because it's illegal what they're doing. But the fact that Karen messed up, and then she grabbed the phone from Karen and then thought of a name right there and then. Lindsay Thorne. Yeah, because Karen doesn't have any subtlety at all. No. Roberta's like, be subtle. She's like, okay, I got this. So, Dave Williams, yeah? <laughs> you, you call him every month. <laughs> yeah, oh, Karen. So we cut to the ending, and in the end we talk about Desire, and we see Porter getting money ready to run away with Anne. God knows where he gets it from, but he's got the money. Virginia painting over Juanita and Celia's drawings. Angrily. Very angrily. She's angry painting. It's a mess. Catherine sneaking over to Mike's in the middle of the day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then Dr. Heller looking at Dave's file and booking a flight to Fairview. Yeah, so Mr. Dr. Psychiatrist Man is clearly pressed. Mm-hmm. Because the minute they said Fairview, even though he used that as an opportunity to get them off the phone, which was a very smart thing for him to do, but what do you expect from a psychologist for the clinically insane? Criminally insane, even. But Fairview touched something in him. Mm. He, he, he felt the feels for Fairview, and he was like, oh, Fairview means something. Well, who what else is in mean? Fairview? Yeah. Who else is in Fairview that he could have talked about? So, a, a possible brother killer? That, a possible brother killer. But that is the end of the episode. Okay, so let's move on to Joel's gayest and straightest moments of the episode. So Joel, what do you have for the gayest moment? So my award for gayest moment. I'm giving it to Lynette <laughs> for fighting in a toilet. That's messy. That's messy behaviour. It is Lynette. messy behaviour. It is very messy. I haven't seen that since She's the Man. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was a great fight scene. <laughs> Why y'all so messy? <laughs> so, yeah, come on, Lynette. You're better than this. <laughs> Fighting in a, in a school toilet as well, by the way. Again, though, props to the actor that plays Anne Schilling throwing herself into that metal paper towel dispenser. Oh, yeah. Fab. And then who gets straightest moment? So my award for straightest moment... <laughs> ...goes to Susan, because in this episode, she gave me very you-up energy... During the third date? No, no, during the fourth date, when she walks into Jackson's, uninvited, I might like to add, she just rocks up to Jackson's. Can with that the count coat. as a fourth date? No, it doesn't count as a fourth date, but Susan counted it as a fourth date. Oh, <laughs> okay. It gives very you-up energy, because this is the second time in, like, two episodes where Susan has just walked to Jackson's place uninvited with the intention of doing something. The first time, think... there was an unsuspecting woman in the shower. yeah. And this time she just turned up for sex. Gives very you up energy to me. You think she'd have learnt from from that after the drive-by shampooing. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm but, sorry, uh, Susan, but it's just, you, you can't just rock up to someone's uh, house expecting sex. Well, she is, a, she is very laddie this season. So. Mm. Uh, so now we move on to B's awards for best and worst parent. So B, who do you have for the best parent of the episode? So my award for... 
best parent of the episode. I gave it to Gabby for getting her kids away from that creepy, manipulative old woman. Yep. That's, that's, I couldn't think of anyone else, really. I mean, it could have gone to Lynette. Well, I would have given it to Lynette if she maybe called the police on that woman to stop what was happening at the end of the episode. But she didn't. Yeah, going meme. Okay, so who do you have for the worst parent of the episode? My award for... Worst parent of the episode. Um, I'm sorry, but I guess Brie for telling her son to do whatever violent means are necessary to retrieve a sex tape. What? I didn't have much to go on. No. Surprisingly, because normally I struggle with the best parent. So that was season five, episode seven. What more do I need? Before we end, I think I should think of my least favourite word. Oh, yeah. It's phlegm. I do think that Willy is rather terrible, Mm. but I feel like I can't use that now. Yeah. Also, I would like to add the word gobby to my worst words. Gobby. I hate the word gobby. (laughs) Have I ruined that for you? I'm adding that to my worst words. The word gobby is vile. Let's just go with endgame. It's more of a term. It is more of a term. You are correct. It's more of a term than a word, but let's go with that because there's nothing cringier but then when someone in the show says, we're endgame. We're endgame, Archie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah that'll do okay okay we'll accept that end game so that was season five episode seven what more do i need where can people find us if they have any questions queries comments and theories you can find us on instagram at boyfriends review and you can find us on twitter at bfs review we also have email which is boyfriends review at outlook.com and our artwork is done by louis who you can find on instagram at dot design and there's a link to his etsy page where he does commissions We'll be back in your ear holes next week with Season 5, Episode 8, City on Fire. City on Fire! Yeah, we know exactly what that's from. Yeah. So, see you then. See you then.